Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio today by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hey, Sarah. It is our seventh annual, seventh annual, can you believe it, summer reading episode. Yep, I very distinctly remember the first one, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. It is, it is. And I've been taking this assignment seriously. I have been, you know, I called in books from publicists and was like, okay, sit down, read. And boy, once you start reading, it just... It's like running downhill. You just gather <laughs> speed and you want to keep reading, keep reading. And after you finish a good book, you want another that's, good book. That's the key. That's the key, I think. Is, yeah. And sometimes when you, when I have a couple of DNFs did not finish, then I just am like, please. Oh, please. I know. I know. And then, and then, oh, you feel like, oh, well, I, you know, then you sort of almost lose your judgment. Right. And then you think, well, I'm not going to like this one either. I'm not going to like this one either. And the reverse is true that, oh, I love this one. Now I'm going to love this next one. I'm going to love this next one. So I had a good good run of these. Yeah, it reminds me of when I have money to buy new clothes. I can never find anything I like. (laughs) (laughs) And when I'm pinching pennies, oh, (laughs) so it's that same sort of (laughs) on off. Yeah, well... uh, Oh my goodness. So you went and saw your grandkids last month? Well, actually, yeah, we uh, were able to be in Kentucky for my father's 90th birthday. Oh, wonderful. And Carol and the kids came up and yeah, it's, uh, they're amazing. It's, uh, oh, they're growing up so quickly. Oh my gosh, they are. Yeah, Kennedy, who will be seven in November. My father keeps saying she reminds him a lot of me at that age oh. because we're like personality wise, but she's tall mm-hmm. and I was always considered tall mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. high school when I stunted at five five <laughs> yeah, yeah and then Mark is all boy Love uh-huh. it. but it was fun it was really fun and my father uh really is is doing well and um Goodness. 90th birthdays are big yeah they sure are so party uh no he requested no party oh. which was interesting and uh, said that what he really wanted was people to come uh, in dribs and drabs to see him. <laughs> Did um, he use that phrase, dribs and drabs? Uh, no, that's my phrase. I can't remember what his was, but I don't think it was as nice. <laughs> I don't want them coming all at one time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So uh, uh, I think people are going to be visiting him throughout the summer. And Oh, okay. So it wasn't like he just wanted people at one and at three and at five. He's actually saying, yeah. I want people this weekend, maybe right. 10 days from now. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I think the idea of having a big party, although he was fetted at his church and of course Aww. people in town who refer to him as mr bob oh it was, it was uh-huh. fun. Yeah. and yeah. how big's the town uh the town is a whopping 1900 people okay okay yeah. carlisle kentucky about 35 miles east of lexington beautiful uh-huh. country uh-huh. what about you what's been going on oh um well I had a very um eventful um sunday uh, so typically on Sunday, I go up to Vancouver, Washington, as you know, just across the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon, where there is a lovely, it turns out it's a county park. I've been mistakenly calling it a state park. And there's a lovely trail. And then there's a beautiful former quarry, now pond, that I swim in. Oh. Climbline Pond at Salmon Creek County Park. And so, and it's a nice paved trail. So it's really awesome to be able to go running and then go to the um, kind of um, beach house that they have there, you know, kind of, um, I don't want to call it a locker room because there are not lockers um, and change and then go swimming. 
And the key is to get there before, get out of the water before 11, because that's when the lifeguards show up. And at that point, you can't swim outside the lane, the roped off area. But, you know, before the lifeguards get there, it's a common understanding that people go outside of that and swim wherever they want in it. And there's no watercraft on the, so there's no um, risk of being hit by a boat or anything. So anyway, so Molly and I typically go, Molly was not here this weekend. She was hiking. So I go to the can't even think of like, you know, the, the bathrooms, the public bathrooms, that's what it is, but there is a changing area. And so I leave my bag in there. So go swimming, have just a fantastic 45 minute swim. It was just truly heaven. Come out, chat with a woman for a minute or two and then go in and my bag is missing. Oh dear. No bag. Oh no. So go out, talk to the um, employee who I talked to before she said, oh, there were some people who were obviously on drugs, um, you know, um, uh, that commonly called tweakers, and I will call, refer to them as the tweakers. Uh, I mean, the woman was, the, it was a man, man and woman, and the woman was um, so kind of out of her mind on drugs that she just like at one point laid down on the grass and just kind of like dozed there for a while. So anyway, so we, oh, and that... Um, they had left the park and that somebody thought they were, she was carrying the bag. But, but so then, um, and I should say that my wallet and phone were not in the bag, okay. but my car keys were, oh, okay. and my, um, you know, I don't know, $65 Brooks running bra and my brand new $78 Speedo swimsuit that I had opted and said to wear my crummy old one and two really favorite pair of Saucony running shorts and my UFOs and, you know, stuff like that. And so, and I like my Nike bag. And so... Anyway, so the woman, the employee, and I drive a tiny bit, just a second outside the park in her little um, kind of souped-up golf cart, looking for her, looking to see if she ditched the bag, no nothing, go back in, and she stops to talk to this um, husband and wife who were just there with their kids, and I'm thinking, huh, why are we talking to these people? Well, the one couple she talks to, oh yeah, they (sighs) saw the woman, and the woman talked to them. Oh, my goodness. And that the um, uh, woman who was on drugs had, um, or, or seemingly on drugs, had gone into the restroom, came back out, and asked this husband and wife, hey, is that your bag? Is that your wife's bag in the locker room? Um, they said no. And so then a minute later, the um, couple who are on drugs come out, and the woman is carrying the bag. Oh otherwise known as my bag. Right. And the husband who um, was not on drugs, who turns out his name is Damon, so I'll call him Damon. He felt he should have said something, but he didn't want to accuse her. You know, he, he said that she seemed like maybe she was so out of her mind that she just forgot it was hers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so um, Damon and his wife were like, oh, you should call the police. And I'm like, thinking, oh, it really seems like overkill to call the police, but okay. So I call 911, describe, get a description of them, relay that to the 911 operator, and um, so Damon's wife says, do you want Damon to go look for her? And I was like, I was like, lady, you read my mind. That's exactly right. what I want. And I immediately think, and I want to go with him. Right. But no one. And then a minute later, the wife goes, do you want to go with him? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and so meanwhile, you have to remember, at this point, I am wearing my swimsuit. And yeah. holding my cap and goggles. Yeah. My junkie, like, numerous years, stretched out, faded. And um, throughout the entire inter- 
interlude that this all goes on. My whole thinking is, if I don't look down, then I don't see that I'm in my bathing suit, <laughs> and no one else can see I'm in my bathing suit. <laughs> when right. I was little, I had this, uh, I would close my eyes and I'd say, I can't see you, so you can't see right, me. Right. So I thought, if I can't see that I'm wearing my bathing suit, no one else can. Yeah, the hiding behind the curtain where your feet are. <laughs> yeah. and, no, and I have no shoes on. No one offers oh. me, you know, oh, here, take this towel. Oh, oh here's, here's an extra T-shirt, nothing. So anyway, so I run barefoot after Damon because he's already gone to his truck. And we hop into his, you know, huge truck. And we go off driving. He's from Vancouver, so he knows the area really well because okay. I don't really know that area very well. We're driving around and we're looking, looking, looking. And then it becomes a game that he and I play of, if I were tweaking, where would I go? And so we are, you know, we kind of, so we kind of slow down when we get to wide open fields and, you know, are looking, looking, looking. So then finally at the last minute, oh, meanwhile, I've called Jack on um, Damon's phone and asked, told him Mm -hmm. if he could please bring up an extra set of keys. Right. And so Jack's on his way up. And so um, we sort of were like, well, they couldn't have gotten this far. It only was 30 minutes. You know, they're they're on drugs. Like, how fast do you walk when you're on drugs? So, um, so I said, you know, if I were, you know, strung out, I'd go to Dutch Bros, which is that, as you know, that right. s- serves super sweet coffee dr- yes. <laughs> drinks. <laughs> yeah. And so we go, and that's the way I know from this lake. And so we drive that way. And he says, oh, okay, we'll go around and we'll circle back. And I had mentioned, I said, you know, I didn't, I haven't seen any sheriff's vehicles. And he goes, oh, I saw one. Uh, like 30 seconds later, there are three sheriff's cars with their lights on. Oh. Back where we had been, where Damon and I had originally been searching. Okay. And he said, Damon says, that's her. Oh. And so I've the whole time been hanging out the window and I say, pretty calmly, I say, I'm the woman whose bag was stolen. And a sheriff looks at me and he says, please pull your truck over there, points across the street. I'll come over and talk to you. Mm-hmm. So we go over there and uh, he, the sheriff walks across the street. He directs us to stay with the truck and uh, he has my bag in his hand. And so the sheriff proceeds to tell us that when he found the um, people that she did not have the bag on her. Oh, she and had hidden it? She had hidden it. Yeah. And so he says, listen... Uh, You fit the description of someone who stole a bag. You know, listen, the woman just wants her bag back. If you return it with all the stuff in it, no charges will get pressed. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, yes, let's cut the charade. Just go get it. And she does. And she goes and gets it. And oh, and meanwhile, when we had pulled up and I said, I'm the person whose bag got stolen, the woman immediately starts apologizing and says, oh, I didn't know it was yours. You know, I was just about to bring it back. And I didn't say anything. I just go, "Mm, hmm, hmm, like, um, and so, um, so the sheriff finally hands it back to me and he says, can you look through it to make sure everything's there? I checked, everything was there. And uh, he said, you know, like, I didn't have enough to press her, to charge her. And if she hadn't brought it back, you know, we wouldn't have gotten right. it back. Right. And uh, so I said, yeah. And and he said, you don't want press charges, right? And I was like, no, of course I don't want press charges. Yeah. And um, so we go back. And so it's definitely a case of all's well that ends well. But, you know, I immediately thought, you know, if I were homeless and strung out on drugs and I saw a bag, yeah. I'd and, steal it too. Yeah, and if you went out and asked the people a- And asked there, somebody and yeah. said, is this, you know, okay, so they didn't canvas everybody on the beach and say, is this yours? But they asked one couple, and it very well could have been somebody had left it there the day before, and 
you know, I would have yeah. done, if, if I were in her situation, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. And so uh, I was really appreciative to the sheriff and, um, I, homelessness is, and drug addiction is such, well, such, so rampant, such right crisis now. facing it our is. countries. It is. So, um, I donated $25 to the Clark County homeless shelter. Now that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a so. great way of making. So, a- yeah, I wanted to show my appreciation to the, uh, law enforcement officials and, hopefully you know make a tiny tiny dent that's that's fantastic so, um but my goodness i well i've been yeah. swimming i'm like oh I'll, I'll, i can start you know i'll probably be home by 10 30 and then i'll start reading because i was at the uh, in the oh, final no. pages of the last book and i so then by, i finally get home at noon i'm like okay well lost an hour of reading time but um you know i mean the whole thing was over in like i don't know 55 minutes and I pretty much have, Molly and I have been swimming there for, I think, four years. And I've always known that we were pressing our luck leaving our bags there. Right. I used to get changed in the van. And finally, Molly would, when Molly started coming with me, she would get changed down in this bathroom area. And I'm like, okay, we'll just leave it here. So I'm going to go back to changing in my van. And uh, um, supposedly, the sometimes swimmers leave their keys with the women at the... Um, pay gate so that's what i'm gonna start doing okay all right so lesson learned yeah and like you say all's well that ends well yeah 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 yeah. and and jack had never seen where i go swimming so i'm like well at least now you know where i go every sunday jack (laughs) (laughs) so um, but it was um quite an adventure and i i you know i never got a feeling in the pit of my stomach that i wasn't gonna get everything back like i was just I just never got to that feeling. So then right. driving home, I felt like all my adrenaline was like perked and ready to be en- enlisted. <laughs> and I had to be like, no, 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 go back. It's That's all right. okay. That's it's right. all okay. Right. So That's I did right. not pit out. I didn't. But then I was very pleased to, you know, put on a sweatshirt, put on some shorts and drive home. <laughs> my shoes. I put on my UFOs. Uh, yeah. So, and I have to say, I was really... I, I can believe they sent out three sheriffs. Well, that's what I'm thinking. It must have been a slow day. Must have been a yeah. slow morning. Yeah. Exactly. They were like between the, you know, late night um, drunks and the, you know, I don't know, the day drinkers hadn't got quite yeah. into it enough. But... Maybe about to turn the shift or something. Yeah, you know, or I do change not know. the shift. But yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, let's shift this conversation over to books. Okay. And for once, for once, my book pile is taller than it yours. It is. It is. Well, now I, I, I do have a couple. That oh, you I've do have. You didn't bring down. everything. I all didn't right. bring everything. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, you, you start out. We will alternate. Yes. Um, well, I think what I'm going to do is start out by mentioning that uh, I haven't read a lot in a long time. And I think there I've been trying actually to catch up on a couple of books that have been out for a while. Okay. And uh, traveling to Kentucky, I wanted something in paperback. Mm-hmm. And the one that I ended up getting was, I believe it was the National Book Award finalist last year in 2018, but it's called The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. So um, some of our listeners have probably already read it, but um, she's an author that I have uh has sort of been back and forth on, but I kept reading fantastic reviews of this one. It's essentially deals with the AIDS crisis Mm. uh, in the 1980s uh, in San Francisco. But the way that she handles it, which I think is really smart, is she has, she goes back and forth between the mid to late 1980s and then 2015. And so she's dealing with this group of friends, um, their relationships, um, 
during the crisis, and one of them is uh, the younger sister of one of these men. And so what we do is in 2015, the sister is Fiona, uh, is essentially going through sort of a personal challenge on her own, mainly over in Paris, France, but she has to come to terms with how she dealt with and the impact that the crisis had on her personally. Mm. And so I thought it was very well done. Uh, I liked the way that she toggled between the two eras, you know, so she essentially has the two stories about 30 years apart. thought the characters were well done. And I think this is uh, it's an important book because of the crisis, which a lot of young mm-hmm. readers really are not aware mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I thought that the story was just really well done. Mm. And I think it's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it exactly a saga, mm. but I think it does a nice job of melding these in, intricate stories mm-hmm. and about mm-hmm. how this group of friends was essentially, essentially like a family. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't argue with a book that's set in San Francisco and Paris. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's my two exactly favorite right. cities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, then you're, you'll be in, right. in yeah. hog heaven, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the other one that I read, I'd have to say that I really enjoyed The Great Believers, but I was very pleasantly surprised by Kitchens of the Great Midwest, mm-hmm. and it's by Gian, uh, excuse me, J. Ryan Stradel. S-T-R-A-D-A-L. Uh, and just note to it, uh, he is, his second book has just come out, and it's called The Lager Queen of Minnesota. Oh, he was just interviewed on uh, NPR last right. night on All Things Considered. Right. And and I'm, I'm telling you, I Kitchens of the Great Midwest came out in 2017, and I sort of I heard things, but I kept pushing it out because one of the reasons is, and you're looking at the cover now. It looks like a child's book. That's exactly right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it looks like a cute child's book. Right. But when you brought it, I'm like, huh, that's a really thick children's book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks almost like YA. And that's terrible, but I am so guilty of judging a book by its cover sometime. <laughs> but the, from the first page of this book, I was just sucked in oh. and just loved it. Um, I'd really say, before giving you a description, I think um, it's going to appeal to fans of Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Oh. Because it's got that sort of snappy backhanded dry Mm -hmm. humor Mm -hmm. um i also love when you say if you if you like this or fans of this will like this i'm like yeah that's elephant bring it on yep yep (laughs) and that's definitely what i would say about this book um it's essentially revolves around a young woman from before her birth on who becomes supposedly has one of the best palettes in the United States <laughs> and she the, each chapter is about either her or somebody in her life and it, it what I think is fascinating is it can be somebody that's very tangential to her life and she maybe makes just a passing mm. you know she gets a passing um, mention and yet these people some of the characters are just hilarious you've got uh you know, the church baker who, who thinks that her, you know, butter pecan bars are the absolute, <laughs> you know, best and going to win, you know. And you've got characters that are sort of food snobs. Uh, she really paints the brush, but all the while she hangs in with this young girl who's um, Eva Thorvald um, and sort of focuses on 
just her joy in cooking and the impact that she has on some of these other people's oh. lives, even when she doesn't realize it. Oh, so cool. just a, a delightful book. Also, I'm wondering if fans of um, uh, that Eleanor Oliphant. Yeah, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, it's It doesn't have... Um, Maybe some of the a little bit of the pathos that uh-huh. that book uh-huh. does, but yeah, I would think uh-huh. so. It's just it's feel good without being schmaltzy. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I, I can, yeah. <laughs> that's a back blurb <laughs> if ever I heard one. <laughs> so anyway, I know that uh, you and I agreed on one book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and is that my? Oh, that would be the second one. That yeah, yes. right, right, right. Yeah. So um, so this is um by an author who is now making his third appearance on our summer reading episodes. That's Anthony Horowitz. And this one is called The Sentence is Death. And so last year we included his novel, The Word is Murder. And then in 2017, his fantastic magpie murders. Right. Yes. Which got us started. Yes. Yes. So, um, so The Word is Murder um, is the same sort of setup as this new one, The Sentence is Death, in which Anthony Horowitz, the author, inserts himself in, even though it is fiction. And um, it's just so clever. And might I say, he's also rather dashing, charming looking. I, oh, have, yes. a, I have a, a wee bit of a crush on Anthony yeah, Horowitz. Well, I, and I have a wee bit of a crush on Foyle from Foyle's War, so oh, uh-huh. Michael Kitchen's character is. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he's the screenwriter who's <laughs> right. worked on both Foyle's War right. and uh, Midsummer Memories. Uh, Murders, sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, so he inserts himself in the novel on the premise that he is called upon by this prickly London private investigator to shadow him as he solves a murder because then that P.I. wants... Horowitz to write a book about him. And um, so it's a clever conceit that I just feel feels wonderfully modern in yes. our social media look at me era. Um, because Anthony wants to be there, but he doesn't, you know, doesn't want to. And obviously it's all fictional. So, so then you, then it becomes a question of, well, is this really like, is I looked up, is that he mentions his wife and then, you know, so he mentions her by name. And so I look up what his real wife's name is, you know, and does she do what the character of his wife does in the book and all that stuff. So it's just super duper clever. It is. A super quick read. Yeah. It is. Yes. It is. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'd almost call it breezy because I felt like, again, like the running downhill, like it was, I just wanted to read so fast to the point of almost skimming it because it just was, I was just kind of <laughs> skipping along and I just want, and I'm like, whoa, slow your roll, Sarah. Like, you know, try, potato chip. Yeah, try, to, try to figure it out. Try to be like, huh, does that make sense? And well, if that happened, then would that happen? You know, because I keep on trying to solve the murder. Right. Of course. Right. And this one I did solve. You did. I did. Clever woman. I did. Uh-huh. I got, but, but I still stuck with it. And that's the other wow. thing because I've read, mysteries where you know third of the way in you figured it out and you're so sure of it that you just Mm -hmm. and in this one I was fairly positive from a line that the Mm. dead man said oh mm -hmm. but anyway I shouldn't Uh even give that much away yeah Uh yeah uh so that was yeah that's a good one we definitely yeah I just love this and I and I just love finding an author who consistently can turn out good yes. books, reliably good books at a quick pace. Yes. You know, like obviously it's our favorite, you know, and you know, like our favorite Donna Tart. like, you know, we have to wait another decade yeah. till another book comes <laughs> yeah. out. And it's like, Oh no, 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 look there. Good old Anthony's got another one. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Right. 
but it doesn't feel formulaic to no me. no That's not at all thing. not yeah. at all yeah. yeah and in case people are hearing that snoring that is augie in the background with his head hanging off taking a nap by <laughs> with um, the one, cat beside with, him with pablo the cat nearby i think i'll have to have alex take a picture so um, I was about to say, <laughs> right? I'm not surprised. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Official president of the Fan of Augie Club is Alex. Um, so now, did you read The Farm by I Joanne Ramos? I think I'm Ramos? number 65 at the library. <laughs> I was going to ask you if that was worth a purchase, but I just decided to wait. Yeah, but I can't wait it, to hear what she's Yes, thinking. so I'm, it is. So it is... This so as I said, it's called *The Farm* by Joanne Ramos, and it's a hybrid debut novel that's part dystopian, part social commentary. So I went into it. Um, first of all, I read it's a 321 page novel. I read it in less than 48 hours over oh, Memorial Day wow. weekend, okay. and I mean, I, I am a fastish reader, but I mean, I I do not usually finish a novel in a weekend. So um, so the titular farm is a fictional, almost spa-like facility in New York's Hudson Valley, which is north of Manhattan, where young women stay as they gestate babies for moneyed couples. Um, and so I thought it was going to be fully dystopian, kind of a Handmaid's Tale type thing. And I, Handmaid's Tale is one of my all-time favorite novels, so I was all set up for that. Um, but instead, it really shed light on the stark, stark contrast between the privileged elite and immigrants in New York city. And, um, without being heavy handed and, you know, trying to beat you over the head of, Oh, look how tough these immigrants have it. And that they have to take these awful jobs or their alternative is to be, you know, gestational carriers for these women. Um, so it was really thought provoking and thoroughly engaging and it was really well written. It was not fraught. It was not heavy handed. Um, I just really, um, it's very captivating. And um, and made me think without being again, as I said, without being heavy handed. So all right, I put that. I'll put that on my list. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so what else you got there? Um, I've also got "Call Your Daughter Home" by Deb Spira, oh. which I mainly wanted to read because it takes place in South Carolina, my home okay. state, in the <laughs> 1920s. Uh, and I'm going to recommend this one sort of tentatively i think you have to be somebody that probably likes um southern women's fiction uh i know there have been a couple of books that have come out recently that have been popular uh and i'm not going to mention them by name because i did not care for them but i think one made into a award-winning movie oh well that one yeah Yeah. i didn't read that either Uh are you talking about the help yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I, I was just horrified. I didn't read that, help. and I didn't oh, see the movie. Oh, oh, gosh. Any Southern woman worth her salt. But anyway, no, there's been a couple. Um, I'm just not even going to. I think probably listeners will, will know which ones I'm talking about. They've been fairly popular. Uh, but this one, it it does read like maybe the woman's hoping for a, a movie offer or a TV mm. offer, but at the same time, I love the way she described the South. I love some of her characters. It revolves around three women, um, one of whom is extremely wealthy, lives on a former plantation, mm. um, and then there's uh, the woman who's essentially uh, the main maid, Retta, uh, for this family. In fact, her ancestors were slaves. Uh, you know had been slaves held by this family and then there's a 
third woman who's um, essentially very poverty stricken, a, a young woman who was essentially just married off, mm-hmm. had several daughters and has been living with an abusive husband mm. and has to make a really terrible decision. And I think you're going to be able to see each one of these women has something that they have to combat. And it goes from sort of horrific secrets to just being a woman and a Southern woman, no matter what your circumstances at that time, you know, in that period just before the the Great Depression. Well, I was going to ask what era it was. Yeah, Uh it's... uh, in the mid 1920s. So, um again, I recommend it with a little bit of hesitation because towards the end I felt that she was slinging a lot at us mm. and uh, I thought that one of the angles was a and one of the characters, one of the male characters I found just to be a little over the top, but I loved loved the uh relationship between Retta and her husband mm. and um, just found those two characters in particular just really endearing. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I I was glad to read something that's set in my home state, and I feel like I said that she did capture a lot about the South. Um, I'm just think she kind of had too many mm-hmm. irons in the fire as far as the mm-hmm. plot went. Mm-hmm. Oh, when it's made into a movie, they'll cut a bunch of those out. Sure, they will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people, I guess, I, I think a little bit of it is um, Mudbound. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was as well done as Med- Mudbound, the novel, but um, I think possibly people that enjoyed that will enjoy this. Oh, huh, huh, huh. So as long as we're talking Southern writers, I mean, there's such mm-hmm. a wonderful long tradition of Southern writers. Um, so of the classic Southern writers, who's your favorite? Oh. God, that's a tough one. Um, I probably would say Faulkner. Oh, um, uh-huh. because I was introduced to him in high school. Same here. I, yeah, and you know, I remember sitting down and being, and I, you know, you and I both loved to read as kids, but then you know, starting to read it and first getting frustrated, and then fortunately, I had a wonderful teacher at Aiken High, um, Mr. Asbel, who really sort of got our attention with, you know okay, the language is different, but uh-huh. stay with it. Just keep staying with it, and soon you're going to be mm. pulled into it. And that's what that's. So what, what did you read of Faulkner's? Uh, I think the first one we read was Absalon, Absalon, uh-huh. and then... Um, oh, you read more than one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, we, read, goodness, a, we wow. read another one. Oh, gosh, and I'm... Because compl- we read, uh, this was in 11th grade, we read As I Lay Dying. Okay, it was As I Lay Dying and Absalom. Absalom. Uh-huh. We read two. Um, you got double down in the South. Yeah, you know, that's so, exactly s- right. Since I was a Yankee, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a yeah. Connecticut Yankee, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think he's good. I liked Ellen Gibbons as far as a oh, modern yeah. Southern writer. I uh-huh. don't think she's writing that much anymore uh-huh, uh-huh. um were you much for flannery o'connor my brothers were oh, uh, my uh-huh. brother bill loved flannery flannery o'connor and my mother loved her but flannery o'connor to me was a little i i was exposed to her short stories when i in that same english class mm-hmm. in 11th grade mm-hmm. and i really enjoyed them and um but 
Yeah, and then we had to write an essay in the style of oh, uh, Faulkner. Oh. So, and I, I remember I got a very good grade on good. that essay. Well, darling, <laughs> bless your little heart. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, my father's from the South, so was from the South. So, uh, yeah, you I adore tap a wealthy. Uh-huh. Oh, sure. Her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy yeah. her stuff. But I think, I think there are a lot. I like Ellen Gilchrist, too. Um, some, I think a lot of modern writers don't like, she's from Louisiana, I believe, originally, that's where pretty much everything's set there, um, and I enjoyed her stuff, uh-huh. um, but yeah, there's a lot to choose from, and uh-huh. there's a lot more coming out mm. now of the South that I think, uh, we've got some, uh, Natasha Treadway as uh, a poet, a Southern poet, I love her stuff, mm. so yeah. I mean, I think Southern literature has, is so evocative of the place, and um, I don't know, I, I find regional um, fiction pretty intriguing. Yes. Uh, yeah. My book group enjoys reading a lot of Pacific Northwest, things set in the Pacific Northwest, like um, Brothers, Sister, Sisters, Brothers. Oh, what the, is that? Uh, the, the, uh, the Sisters Brothers yes. by... Um, all right, I know him because... I didn't read, it. I didn't read that oh, book. Oh, you have to read it. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and then it was it's made fantastic. into that uh, movie with John C. Riley. Yeah, yeah, um, I didn't who watch Who I actually can't stand that yeah, actor, no, so no, I didn't no. watch Sisters it. Brothers, DeWitt. Oh, uh-huh. Patrick DeWitt. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. fantastic book. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah so... Um, uh, yeah, and I'm reading a book now that's uh, actually... You know how the New York Times on Fridays will sometimes do sort of a forgotten writer and mm. uh, uh-huh. the author will talk about it? Um, introduced me to Wright Morris, who lived pretty much, uh, I think he was born in the early 1900s and died in the late 1900s. And he, I'm reading Plains Song. So not to be confused, it's two words, <laughs> yes. not to be confused. <laughs> plain, plain Song. Plain Song by uh, Harif. But um, this is, it reminds me a lot of some of Willa Cather's stuff. Oh. This is a, a family saga although it's a very short book it's only like 230 pages but it's uh set in the midwest and um just that same sort of quiet observations Mm. of quiet characters Mm. and i'm about halfway through and really enjoying Mm. it yeah i mean willa cather talk about a person captured place oh my goodness oh my gosh you're it's just transferred right there to those windswept plains oh yeah. yeah 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 my antonia Still, oh, my heart. Oh, I read that novel when Jack and I traveled around the world oh. in 2000. And then we were in, well, I want to say we were in Budapest. And there was an exhibit about the American Midwest in Budapest. Oh. Like, what's up with Whoa. that? And so yeah. it was it was like total immersion, you know, that I just finished that novel. And then here I am. And, you know, my mother's from the Midwest, if we can consider Ohio the Midwest. and And so... I oh my goodness it was just fantastic. That's fantastic. amazing yeah. synchronicity. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good good word choice. Yes, yes. So here comes a book that we did not agree on. Nope. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's called the editor, and it's by Stephen Rowley, and it weaves fact with fiction in for me the most endearing way. Um, it's a thirty-something writer who lives in New York City with his longtime boyfriend finally gets a book publishing deal after struggling as a writer for a decade, making it all the more momentous. His editor is none other than Jacqueline Onassis, the former first lady who in reality did spend more than two decades as a book editor in Manhattan. And so again, it's, it's fiction 
but weaving in fact. And I just found the novel exquisite and transporting. And, you know, especially poignant given the summer's the 20th anniversary of JFK Jr.'s death. And um, so, yeah, so Jackie O helps this fictional writer, James Smale, come to terms with his tumultuous relationship with his own mother. And um, I was just intrigued to see the private and professional life of Jackie O, even if it was fictionalized. Um, You know, I just, I really, again, gave a great sense of place. Um, Felt like I was back in the 1990s, New York City and Cape Cod, because James goes up for a weekend to her place. Um, up there. And so you need to say what your gripes were with it. My gripes, I, I, I attempted to read it before we went to Kentucky and then felt bad that I put it to the side. So I came back. My main gripe with it is if you're going to navel gaze, I want your navel gazing to be interesting to me mm-hmm. and not just And I just found that the main character did a lot of navel gazing mm-hmm. in the beginning and too much of this sort of I just I began 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 to get annoyed with him. Oh, uh-huh. and um, I thought that the character as and I I didn't read. I think all total I read maybe sixty pages. Oh, okay. So I did think that the way they handled um, Jackie's character was from what I've read and everything. I thought it was very well done. And then when I realized there was going to be some mommy son issues, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that. I think as I get older, and I think of this as almost sort of a coming-of-age book, even though uh-huh. he, uh, he's right, like in his, his early, early 30s. 30s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I just, uh-huh. I, I just got annoyed with him. Tried to stick with it. Got annoyed with him again, <laughs> and just found that even the intrigue of Jacqueline Onassis couldn't keep me engaged. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah, so now who would you recommend that? Yeah, oh gosh, I thought, oh, don't ask me, don't ask me, because I couldn't think of anything. Um, um, gosh, I don't know, what, what would been, you suggest? You, there's that, been that, some other um, books about writers, and gosh, that's a that's a good Because it's a question of whether it's about the writer and the editor relationship, or whether it's a relationship with a celebrity. Um, I don't know, I don't how we sometimes put some people on a pedestal and mm-hmm. and don't look at the people around us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good that's a good yeah. one to kind of think on that. If I yeah. think on I, it, I am yeah. not I'm not coming up with anything. Yeah. But but then I'm going to move to the book that I then just finished after my um, that I did end, end up having time to finish despite my my diversion on <laughs> <Adventure>. Sunday, <laughs> the adventure of the gym bag, um, and that is courting Mister Lincoln by Lewis Baird. And um, uh, so it's 379 pages and it is fanciful historical fiction. And again, it, um, you know, took true, takes true things, you know, true characters, Abraham Lincoln, Mary Todd, Joshua Speed, and um, builds a story around it from there. And um, first of all, I do it. One, one of my gripes with it is the typeface was awfully small and faint. It was very thin And so it was real. I had to be in either really bright light or wearing my cheaters. Um, But I read it for just hours upon hours on both Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it imagines the courtship of Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd in the rising from the prairie Springfield, Illinois, along with Lincoln's friendship with Joshua Speed, who is this actual man that Lincoln shared a room and 
Um, they slept in the same bed. I didn't want to say it in any salacious terms. They just slept right. in the same bed. That's the way they said that that was very common back in that day. Right, right. And so, and they had a deep friendship. Um, and there, it was in their room above Speed's dry goods store. And um, the story is delicately woven by the vantage point of two contrasting characters of Todd and Speed. Um, I found the writing incredibly well-crafted. And um, it was not cloy or conspicuously clever. Um, and to me, it was really like being in, this will sound, you know, kind of odd, but it was like being in this open field of wildflowers, like very casual in its beauty, yet stunning nonetheless. Yeah, okay. And it just was sense. like, I don't know. Um, so, and I want to read an excerpt from it. Oh my gosh, and I didn't bring my glasses down. So luckily for me, this room is very well lit. Um, so this is a section of um, from Joshua Speed who by this point has moved from a little bit of a spoiler alert. He moves from uh, Springfield back to Kentucky where he's from. And he said, when he was asked the hardest thing about coming back to Kentucky, Joshua's answer was simple. The heat back on the Illinois Prairie, the sun had simply blazed down, daring you to find cover. A Louisville sun paused first to enlist everything within its reach, air, water, cloud, and from these elements, it fashioned a pall that could not be escaped. No matter where you hid, even when, by all appearances, it had tumbled off the horizon, its fingers could still be felt, stifling every breeze, stopping every pour. More than once, Joshua found himself overcome in the middle of some benign shore by the sensation of his own windpipe shrinking on itself. It left him feeling absurdly convalescent, like an asthmatic down to his last teaspoon of oxygen. And um, with the, the just this past weekend was the um, heat wave that engulfed mo most of the country. Right. So I thought that was an apt um, thing. And also, I have to say that reminded me very much of how the heat felt to me in um, the first Boston Marathon I ran when the air was so still. And it just, I was like, oh, there's no air yeah. around here at yeah. all. So anyway, so I, I just, um, I just... Uh, found the writing really really talented i will say if you're looking for a novel that has a lot of action this is not your no. novel yeah. <laughs> um uh this one to me it's deliciously slow like a period drama on pbs it's about drawing room intrigue and the social mores of the time and courtship in particular and um friendship um yeah i yeah. need to give him another try i think i tried mr timothy mm -hmm. and but i you know, I was looking back when you were telling me when we had talked a little bit and you said that you were really enjoying that. I I really think I need to give him another try. Oh, okay. Because then I thought, I thought, oh, well, Ellison probably knows better than I do. So I looked at, I looked up some of his other novels mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, maybe I could, because they are oftentimes, they take a, a real, or actually in one case, a fictional, they take, That's, he takes Tiny Tim. Yeah. Mr. Timothy. Yeah. yeah. yeah and um, right. so kind of reimagined right. these characters or real life people. Um, but I mean, a ton of what is in here is factual. Right. So, um, I don't know. It was very interesting. Also, you know, I have a longstanding tradition of loving prairie stories. So going back to my <laughs> little <laughs> house in the prairie, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so that whole, I mean, th this is when Springfield, the capital hadn't been built. They didn't have sidewalks. And that really plays into the story of why you know, they, they, the streets kind of like turned to mud in the springtime and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'm always fascinated by Mary Todd Lincoln. I think she yes. was a, sort of a odd, tragic character. And mis very misunderstood. Yes. 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 So I wanted to read her biography by, um, is it, I think, Jean Baker, maybe? Somebody, 
And yeah, the li- library didn't have it. Oh, really? The, the one he co- he says that was quite good at the end, he talks about... Um, what he used as Yeah, it's kind of material. source material. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, he says... Um, uh, yeah, Gene H. Baker's definitive biography of Mary Todd Lincoln. Um, and I don't know why the library doesn't have it. I know I've read one... And I don't, but I don't think it was by him. I'll have to get, uh, I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, and I actually, um, Jack started reading it. I'm not sure it's going to be his cup of tea because uh, he and our son John are going to a family reunion in Springfield, Illinois, oh next gosh. month. So, <laughs> 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 um, so I thought, if nothing else, in like feeling like what, um, you know, life was like there. Yeah. Uh, you know, more than a century ago. Yeah. 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 You want to so, talk nonfiction a little? Oh my goodness! So I just really, really tried to. To I got I got one in. It's called Once More We Saw Stars oh, by Jason Green. It I got I so just, much press. And I'm afraid to read it. I know. It's oh it's so tragic. It's about how he and his wife just suddenly, through a freak accident, lost their toddler daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I just it's the same reason I've never seen Schindler's List as a movie. I've said this before. Like, when do you ever say, Yes, I want to immerse myself in something horribly tragic? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I've heard, unlike you, I've heard great reviews. But oh, I'm just, raves and yeah, raves, raves about that. Yeah. There's certain, there certain things, and it seems like I don't mind reading um, sort of, you know, some of the uh, memoirs by people either who have, are dying mm-hmm. or who mm-hmm. lost a spouse. But losing a child, I think I, mm-hmm. it's tough. That's just a tough one, I think, for, for many of us. Yeah, yeah. So what have you been, what nonfiction have you been Well, on? the one that I read several months ago was Fall and Rise, the story oh. of 9-11. Oh. Uh, that's by Mitchell Zuckoff. And um, this one, you know, there was a uh, sort of a flurry of 9-11 books in the years following it. And, of course, now we're coming up, we're just a year and a half away from... The 18 uh, year anniversary 20 year uh, a year and a half away will be oh sure yeah yeah yeah, but, yeah, yeah. i was thinking yeah. yeah yeah but as far as the other um but um this one i i think is 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 well done and it would be a good reader for those who were very young when it mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. of course you know you think about it now those you know 2001 people mm-hmm. are graduating from high school there mm-hmm. so but he also uh handles it uh he does it literally he goes on a time timeline oh uh-huh so he kind of toggles back and forth from what was happening you know at this point at, at logan you know at, mm-hmm. at this point what was happening at the towers at the mm-hmm. same time mm-hmm. what was happening the pentagon in pennsylvania mm-hmm. you know, in pennagon you know so and um we get it's it can be a tough read because uh he uh they made available to him things that oh. um were not made available oh, in wow. the years to come so some of it is is a really hard mm-hmm. read but just the stories of you know courage of course there's just you know oodles of just heartbreaking stories but some of the stories of courage and sacrifice mm. are really inspiring and i think it would be a good read for uh, anybody who feels they really don't know a lot about what happened with that day. Of course, my favorite book is uh, The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright. I knew you were going to say that. I found, I find Lawrence Wright so erudite <laughs> that it's, he's aspirationally smart. Like I just, I feel I'm, oh, I get almost there. And then I slip back down. I get almost there. And I just, so I, uh, I read the entire book. I don't know that I understood all the book. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's And I've something. read some of his other stuff, and he, he's just so dang smart. He is. Um, he is. And you, know, you can, if you see him interviewed, it's almost like his mind is like, you know, three leagues ahead of him. That's and what I mean. Yeah, I yeah. just, when I get close to catching up with him, he's like that runner in the race <laughs> that you just get close to their tail, and boom, they're off again. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. although, boy, Lawrence... Um, writes other the oh, one the Scient- scientology, scientology. One. oh yes that Whoa. was fascinating oh that was fascinating it was also just like are is this serious yeah mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you sound like an intelligent person <laughs> why yeah yeah that was outrageous yeah. 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 yeah 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 and then i'm hoping to read appeasement uh subtitle chamberlain hitler churchill and the road to war and it's by tim bouvier um Bouverie, excuse me. It's B-O-U-V-E-R-I-E. And I had to look him up because I was thinking, is it Bouvier? But yeah, it's Bouverie. Yeah, yeah. uh-huh. um, and that one, I just love, I really have enjoyed well-written books that lead up to either World War One or World War Two. And so this one, I it was one of those things where I got it out of the library. We went to Kentucky, came back, and I thought, no problem. I probably got about another 10 days to read this. And I started it, and two days later, I got, ding, your book is dead. I know, and you can't renew it. No, that's exactly it's like, wait, right. How is three weeks gone by? That's impossible. Yeah. Impossible, yeah. So that yeah. one just came out. I'm looking forward to reading oh, that. that my, my father would have liked that. My oh, father yeah. adored World War II books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I uh-huh. think my father would like it. I'm thinking maybe he'd prefer it on Audible. But oh, uh-huh. um, And then looking forward into the fall, I have to say probably the main book that I'm looking forward to is The Dutch House by Ann Patchett, oh. which I believe comes out in mid-September. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, she's prolific as well. She can turn them out, I yeah. Mean, the, I mean, a couple um, of, everyone every couple of years or well, because her latest one, I mean, time is skipping by. The one she wrote the um, one about with the orange grove, the yes, or the, the one from Amazon. The one we're trying to think of is Commonwealth, right? Which it, I don't find that title very indicative of what the novel no, was. No, and I'd have to say that was one of my least favorite of her. It was, it was, yeah. I mean, I loved State of Wonder. That was the one that was set in the Amazon. And I loved Bel Canto. Oh, I still think that love is, Bel Canto. Oh my gosh, I mean, and that one. That. Mm. Such a fantastic um, book group. Yes. Book, Belcanto. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. So good. Yeah. yeah. But this one, apparently, that her new one, The Dutch House, is about two siblings who are essentially, uh, uh, their father uh, dies and their stepmother prevents them from uh, either v- even visiting the family home, which apparently mm. is very dear to both of them. So it's about... Mm. Uh, Hmm. sits around so it's that. not set in the netherlands or anything i don't think wonder so. why it's called I the dutch house think, it has a very pretty cover we looked way, it up the now. cover is gorgeous yeah. and i think that may say so here again yeah <laughs> come on we need to straddle you need to get your covers differently but yeah. find out who's doing those for ann patchett but uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. nice nice um and you say that comes out um september okay so that's not very long from now yeah i yeah Okay. All right. All right. Well, my goodness. Well, that wraps it up, E. I think... Uh, Another one in the books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex didn't like that. I think he's going to cut that. <laughs> if Augie was awake, he would have liked yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, well, I know that Dimity uh, is here to talk about some epic Disney races. So let's hear what mm. she's got to say. 
Hey everybody, it's Dimity here in the heat and humidity of July, and I want you to cast forward to January, especially if you are headed to the sweet Disney in Florida to run the Dopey or Goofy Challenge in January of 2020. Um, first of all, if you are, I'm taking off my Minnie Mouse bow to you, bowing to you, because you are going to either cross four finish lines or two finish lines in as many days, you're definitely running a half marathon followed by a marathon. And guess what? You need to train for that and train properly for that so that you have such a good time and have magical miles and get to worry about your costume and not your training. So the way you're going to do that is you are going to join the Train Like a Mother Club Disney Dopey and Goofy training program. It's led by Coach Jen and Coach Liz, the triathlon and running by heart rate coaches. They have created a 24-week program that is going to train you beautifully, get you ready both muscularly um, and cardiovascularly for all the challenges that lie ahead and all the fun that lies ahead. So again, if you are headed to Disney or um, to Disney to do Dopey or Goofy, definitely check out the training plan and see if it's a good fit for you. Um, head to the Train Like a Mother Club, trainlikeamother.club, and look under training programs. Okay, we'll resume with our regularly scheduled uh, highlights next week, but just wanted to get that on your radar because the training starts on Monday, July 29th. All right, have a great week, you guys. Bye. All right, and speaking of your native state of South Carolina, uh, there are a few remaining slots to our Hilton Head Island retreat, Ooh. which is, yeah, February 28th. It encompasses um, Leap Day. Um, and then it also includes, um, it's, we are staying at a hotel that is right on the beach. It's so beautiful. They have, as you know, very deep beaches there. And so, uh, there was not a race that we really wanted to have be part of our retreat. So we enlisted a uh, race director and he is making one for us oh, and, wow. and for other people, any, any women, it's uh, women run W M N R U N. And so it is going to be run entirely on the beach. And at first I was like, mm, I don't know when Al, the race director was like, oh, we could do it on the beach. And, and I'm like, um, and it is the absolute, it has just the tiniest bit of give. That's right. We looked up what time low tide is. The beach is so deep and it is flat. It is not canted like our beaches out here. And so it's just going to be fantastic. And so as part of the retreat, and like I said, anyone can do these women run races if they sign up for it, is um, there'll be a half marathon and a quarter marathon and a 5K. Perfect. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be super fun because we're going to go, you know, like one direction for part of it, then go back, go past, like we kind of start in the middle. And because the it's called the Beach House, where is our um, host hotel. And so there's going to be a big party there at their Tiki Hut afterwards and on the beach. And we're going to have cornhole and there's going to be alcoholic beverages if that's what you're looking for afterwards. So that the race within our retreat is going to be super fun. So as I said, there's a few remaining spots. Um, we're bringing in some new speakers. It's going to be really a fantastic time. And you can find all of that by going to either to another Mother Runner or just to register. And for all the details, you can go to um, motherrunnerstore.com and click on the tab at the top that says retreats. I have to say that's a beautiful time of year to be uh, on the beach in South Carolina. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah I'm yeah. just really, really excited for that one. So our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. <laughs> <laughs>